Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app in a moment. We're going to look at a number of scriptures together, but before we do, I just want to say thank you for being a part of our service, those of you who are here in person, also for those of you who are joining us online, uh, around the state, around the country, or around the world, thank you, especially those of you here locally joining us on TV, uh, thanks for connecting with us, and our prayer is that uh, you'll, leave the, you'll leave today's broadcast loving God uh, more than when you started. But I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a privilege to dive into God's Word together with you. I want to begin today with a big idea. just want to jump right in. We're going to dive in with a big idea. The big idea is t- today is simply this. We do what we do, and we think what we think because we believe what we believe about God. Now, there's a lot there, but hopefully it's something you can remember. We do what we do, and we think what we think because we believe what we believe about God. One of the best ways I know to describe this statement is with a picture of a fruit tree. You've got the fruit and you've got the roots. And, and so the fruit, of course, in this illustration represents what we do and it represents what we think. Uh, some of those things that we do are good and some of those things that we do aren't so good. Some of the things that we think are good and some of the things that we think at times aren't so good. But that, that's what I mean by the fruit. It's the evidence of, of our lives, the outward evidence of what's taking place beneath the surface. And so you already know where I'm going with this illustration. The idea of the root represents those things that we believe represents those things that we love. It represents our, our passions. It represents the, what's at the very core of who we are, what we really, truly believe, where our faith really lies. So for instance, if someone, let's say, has a struggle lying, let's say you struggle with lying. You don't wanna lie, but you continue lie, lying, little white lies, big lies, you struggle with lying, that would be a fruit problem. But there's actually a reason that you struggle with lying, and there's a root issue behind the fruit problem. And so for lying, it may be that somewhere in your childhood or somewhere in your early adulthood or maybe even recently, you've come to believe that God isn't truly good enough or that God isn't truly uh, righteous enough to give you what you need, and so you believe way down deep, perhaps, that by lying, you will get out of life what God won't give you. And so you see, behind every fruit issue, there is a root issue. Someone who struggles with lust, that would be a fruit issue and all that goes along with that. But why is it that someone struggles with lust repeatedly? A Christian doesn't want to give in to it, but yet sometimes they do. It's because of the root issue. Someone who continually gives in to lust is someone who, who way down deep doesn't believe that God can provide for their needs, that God and His holiness hasn't provided a way for their needs to be met, and so they act out on that and have fruit issues, again, because of root issues. Now, to be fair, not all bad fruit issues are the direct result of incorrect spiritual knowledge. Sometimes our family of origin comes into play. 
For instance, if somebody struggles with, with anxiety, they may need medicine to help them think clearly so that then they can actually get to the root issue. Sometimes life experience comes into play here. If a man grows up with an abusive father, it's, it's likely that he'll grow up with the wrong view of God. He may need, yes, he needs the Bible, but he may also need another man or a group of men in his life to show him what unconditional love looks like. And when he finds that unconditional love, then he may be clear-headed enough to understand God's love for him. Of course, all of us have inborn sinful inclinations. James says in James chapter 1, we're all tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. So I don't want to make it sound like it's just simply a thought issue or just simply, hey, take this Bible verse and call me in the morning. That's not what I'm preaching today. But I do believe this, that we do what we do and we think what we think because we believe what we believe about God. Now, in today's message in particular, we're going to talk about God the Father. And I want to speak a message simply entitled, Four Things a Pandemic Teaches Us About God the Father. Four Things a Pandemic Teaches Us About God the Father. And my prayer today is that you will leave loving God the Father more than when you came in or more than when you tuned in. So let's go ahead and dive into these four things. What can we learn in a pandemic about God the Father. Number one, what does this pandemic teach us? Number one, God the Father is sovereign over all things, but we are not. He is sovereign over all things, but we are not. Now, when you hear the word sovereign, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind is a king on a throne or a queen on a throne. The idea of sovereign means supreme ruler. To be sovereign means to possess supreme or ultimate power. The Bible teaches that God the Father has total control and complete assurance that everything he designs will happen. He has the right to be in charge of everything because he is in charge of everything. Everything happens for his honor and for his glory, and nothing that he has decided to do will ever fail to come to pass. God the Father is the principal, chief, supreme being of the universe. He is in control of all things. Now, in your notes, feel free to look up all the verses. I've packed a number of scriptures in your notes. You can find them at BibleCenterChurch.com in the bulletin section right there on the homepage. You can see the sermon notes. But here's a few verses that just remind us that God is in control of all things. 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. We see it also in Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 55, in verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. 
declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Now, it's easy for us to grapple, to, to, come to come to terms with the truth that God is in charge of all things, but what's harder is for us to come to terms with God being sovereign even over the bad things of life. But the scriptures clearly teach that though God never tempts anyone and God is not the author of sin and, and God in his sovereignty allows Satan certain freedoms and he allowed Adam and Eve to have the free will to make a choice and that choice had consequences, still in some way that we don't understand, God is still sovereign over the bad things. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, See now that I myself am he, there is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. No one can deliver out of my hand. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. And then lastly, Job chapter 1 and verse 21. Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May we never, ever question through this coronavirus pandemic, that God is still sovereign over the pandemic. There are times we feel like the world is completely out of control, that no one is in charge, but the Bible teaches that even God is in charge over pandemics. One of the things, just to be completely authentic, completely transparent, one of the things I have learned through this pandemic is I am not nearly as smart as I thought I was. I'm not nearly as smart as I thought I was. You remember back like, you know, it felt like 20 years ago when the pandemic started. It was really only like seven months ago, but it feels like 20 years ago. Remember when it started and, and people said, hey, let's, let's take two weeks and let's flatten the curve. So, you know, I told our staff, yeah, two weeks, you know, by the end of March, things will be back to normal. And then when things weren't back to normal by the end of March, I told the church, I said, we can expect to get back to life as normal by Easter, right? I mean, by Easter, that's, that's a long time, but we'll, we'll make it. And then Easter came and Easter went, and then it was May, and then it was June and July, and, and now we're in October, and, and I'm learning that I'm not in charge of very much in this life, that God is sovereign and I am not Larry Hine wrote this. He said, may all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness. So that sounds harsh. That you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the love of God the Father. God the Father is sovereign over all things, and we are not. That's the first thing I'm learning in this pandemic about God. 
Let me share something else. Number two, the second thing we can learn in this pandemic about God the Father is that he leads us through trouble so we can experience his comfort and ultimately comfort others. We can experience his comfort and ultimately comfort others. Another way of saying this is that God doesn't comfort us to be simply comfortable, but he comforts us to be comforters. He comforts us to be comforters. This was true of Joseph in Genesis. God sovereignly orchestrated the life of Joseph in such a way that as you're looking at his life, you would never think that anything would good come out of it. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He became really a slave in Egypt. He was lied about, thrown into prison, was this close to being put to death, but yet God had a plan. And through all that, even in the prison, God gave him favor with the prison guards. And eventually God gave him favor with Pharaoh himself. And God used Joseph as second in charge of all the land of Egypt to not only save the land of Egypt from a famine through skilled management of their food, but also to save Israel, his family, from famine. And that's why Genesis 50, 20 says, you meant it for evil, Joseph said, but God meant it for good. In other words, everything that happened to me, Joseph said, was not just for me to be comfortable, but God allowed it to me to learn some lessons and comfort others. This is the New Testament message in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to God the Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles, that includes pandemics, that includes coronaviruses, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now think about some of the hardships that you've gone through in your life. We've all gone through some. When you wanna pick up the phone and call somebody, when you're going through a hardship, you're probably not gonna call somebody who doesn't have very much compassion. You're probably not gonna call somebody who really hasn't been there or at least can't relate in some way. I know when I'm going through a hard time, the last person I wanna call is like, you know, the policy maker, or I, I wanna call, the last person I wanna call is, is the, the person who's just steeped in hard religion that's gonna preach me a sermon over the phone. You know who I wanna call? I want to call the man or woman who walks with a limp. Somebody who's been through it. Somebody who's been there. Somebody who knows. Somebody who's just going to cry when you cry. Who's going to pray when you pray. Who's going to grieve when you grieve. And so I really believe that God can use this pandemic in all of our lives to help others when they go through whatever it is they're going to go through. In many ways, we have it much easier than people had it in World War II or prior to that in the Great Depression. I'm so thankful that we don't have to, to ration things. We had the toilet paper, toilet paper issue for a while. Thankfully, that's over. But yet, this still is hard, and I don't want to pretend that it's not. Author Stephen Covey recalled an incident while riding in the New York subway 
It was a Sunday morning, and he was reading the newspaper. There were a few people in his car, but uh, the subway was much more quiet than it normally is through the week. And he said that he had gone for several stops, and then at one particular stop, jumped on the subway, was a man with three children. And of course, you know, he's not against kids, but these kids right away proved to be rambunctious. They started wrestling and screaming and standing up on the chair and yelling at the top of their lungs. And, and Stephen Covey, if you're familiar with some of his material, he's a very professional fella. Uh, he, he thought to himself, well, surely the father is going to get a handle on this. Uh, he gave the father a few minutes, but the father just stood there and looked out the window, didn't do anything to correct his children. He thought, well, surely the father will give some kind of a gentle rebuke or he'll, he'll declare his authority and tell the kids to sit down and be quiet, but it never happened. And so eventually Covey turned over to the father and he said, perhaps you could, sir, restore order with your children. And the father said this, I know I should do something, but we're just coming back from the hospital. Their mother died an hour ago and I just don't know what to do. Covey said from that moment, he never saw people the same again. He never saw people acting out the same way. But from that moment forward, he realized that when people, even, even grown children, we call them adults, even when grown children act out, it's often because there's something going on underneath the surface. There's some grieving taking place. There's some hurting taking place. There's something else taking place. And when we can wrap our minds around that, we have so much more compassion and comfort for people and patience when it's so hard to be patient. This pandemic, if we'll let it, this pandemic will teach us that God the Father is leading us through trouble so we can experience His comfort and ultimately know how to comfort others. I hope this is the once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, but we can be confident this is not a once-in-a-lifetime trial. We're going to go through it, and the people around us are going to go through it. So let's learn, and let's comfort, and let's heal. Number three, what does the pandemic teach us about God the Father? Number three, teaches us that he loves his children and wants us to draw close to him like a daddy. God the Father loves his children and wants us to draw close to him like a daddy. This week, it's been now a month and a half since we adopted Caden, and, and this week we were driving up our road almost to the house, and Caden and just leans over like out of the blue. He asked these questions. He said, Dad, what should I call you? I was like, what do you mean? What should you call me? He's like, what should I call you? Should I call you dad? Should I call you daddy? What should you call me? And you know, I, I wasn't prepared for that answer or for that question. And so I, I told him, I, my first thought was, well, daddy, of course. Or then I just said, you know, son, I don't care what you call me. I just want to hear your voice. I just want to hear your voice. And that's the way God, I'm sure, is with us. God, as our Father, loves us, and God's not going to get us on technicalities. God just wants to relate to us like a daddy loves his children. I loved it when our girls were little. I love it that they're big now. We're getting college material. Katie just got accepted to WVU last week, and this is her senior year, but I, uh, and I love them that they're big, but Sarah and I have been thinking a lot about when they were little, 
And whenever there'd be a storm or, or some kind of noise or some kind of bump in the night, they would come running and jumping between us as if we're invincible, as if we can protect them from all the world's problems. Something beautiful about that. There's something about that that points us to the heart of God for his children. The word that Jesus used for God the Father absolutely enraged the religious world. You see, there was a word, the word is Abba, which means daddy. It's a colloquial word. The Jewish children used the word Abba or daddy as an intimate word to address their fathers. But from what we can tell from history, Jesus was the first religious leader in history to ever apply that word to God himself. This is unprecedented, not only in world religions today, but in Jesus' day. Why is it that Christianity were to relate to God the Father as Abba, as Daddy? It's because he has infinite compassion for his children, infinite mercy for his children. Think of the best dad that you know and multiply that by infinity. That's the love that God has for us. I was thinking this this week about the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story about a, a young man who takes his, takes his inheritance and demands it of his father and runs off into the far country and he spends his inheritance on riotous living, the Bible says, partying and carousing. He had all kinds of friends as long as he had money, but when he ran out of money, he conveniently ran out of friends. One morning he wakes up in the, pigs, in the pig slop and he comes to his senses and he realizes that when he was home, he at least had a bed to sleep in. He at least had warm food for his stomach. He, he at least had family and love and comfort. And so he gets up and Jesus says that he returns to his father. And I can just picture as that prodigal son comes down the driveway. In the typical religious perspective of the father, the father would be standing there like this. With giving the son a glare, wondering if his son's for real, waiting for the son to come and, and, and grovel at his feet and apologize for all that he's done. But that's not the image that Jesus gives of the father. Instead, the image that he gives is the father losing all of his dignity, not worrying about what people thought. The father picks up his robe, picks up from his legs, girds up his, his loins, and he runs to the son. Picture as he beats the son before the halfway point in the driveway and hugs his son. The Bible says he kisses his son. That's the image that God wants us to have of him. If your faith is in Jesus, God is not your enemy. God is your father. This quote has been used quite frequently. No one really knows where it comes from. But religion says, I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. But the gospel says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. You see the difference? There's a big difference. This is, this is us. This is where we want to be because we mess up all the time. 
And if we think we have to earn our way back to God, then we don't understand the heart of the Father. Some of us try to create our own identity or even to to make God like us more through our rightness, through our goodness, through our attention to detail, through our ability to follow across the T's and dot the I's. Some of us want God to like us more through our works of service or caring for people. Some of us try to build our identity on performance or efficiency or doing more things than anybody else. Some of us try to build our identity on artistic ability or love for beauty and originality. Others try to build their identity around wisdom, around getting the facts right or being the smartest person in the room. Others try to build their identity on responsibility and faithfulness and commitment and loyalty, while others of us try to build our identity around fun and excitement and being the life of the party or the most positive person at the table. Others try to build their identity around power and justice and strength or the ability to move others, and and still yet others try to build their identity around peace or their ability to create harmony. All those things are good. All those are good. And God's wired us all differently to live life a little differently. But none of that is at the core of our identity. According to the gospel, our identity is the child of God. Thomas Merton wrote this. He said, who am I? What's my identity? A child loved by my heavenly father. That's my identity. Frederick Buechner wrote this. He said, we are children, perhaps, at the very moment when we know that it is as children that God loves us. Not because we have deserved his love and not in spite of our understanding. Not because we try and not because we recognize the futility of our trying. But simply because he has chosen to love us. We are children because he is our father. And all our efforts, all our fruitful and fruitless efforts to do goods, to speak truth, to understand, are the efforts of children who, for all their precocity, are children still in that before we loved him. He loved us as children through Jesus Christ our Lord. What can we learn through this pandemic? What can we learn through this storm? What can we learn as it seems like every day something new is, or every night something is going bump in the night? What can we learn? We can learn that God loves his children and wants us to draw close to him like a daddy. And if we can learn that in a pandemic, think about how much closer we'll be with him when we come out on the other side. God is a father. Number four, and lastly, what does this pandemic teach us about God the Father? Number four, that the greatest blessing he has ever given us is Jesus. The greatest blessing he's ever given us is Jesus. I'll ask you the question today, and think through your life, has this pandemic cost you anything yet? Has this pandemic cost you anything yet? Have you lost anything because of the pandemic? Maybe it was a pay cut. Maybe it was the job altogether. 
Maybe it was an important contract. Maybe it was your senior year. Maybe it was your freshman year. Maybe it was a proper graduation. Maybe it was your college experience. Maybe it was the joy of seeing your grandchildren. Maybe it was a trip that was taken away because of the COVID. Maybe it was your civil liberty. Maybe it's, you feel it's your right to send your kids to school. Maybe it's your mental health, your physical health. Maybe you've lost a loved one. You see, but it's seasons like this that remind us that all we need is Christ. I don't like losing things any more than you like losing things. But could God be using this season to remind us that what we need is Christ? Nothing else in this world can satisfy. That's why Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. This is true for our salvation. Jesus said in John 4 that he's the water of life. In John 6, he says he's the bread of life. If you partake of Jesus, you'll never thirst. You'll never hunger again. Jesus Christ came into this world to live the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die on the cross. But he rose again the third day to give us everlasting life. And I love the simplicity of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's true for our salvation, but Christian, it's also true for our suffering. I was reading this week in the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talked about a suffering. If you think you have a bad day, read the book of 2 Corinthians, particularly chapters 10, 11, and 12. Paul talks about how many times he was beaten because of the gospel, how many times he was shipwrecked because of the gospel, how many times he was thrown in prison because of the gospel. If you think you have a bad day, just read 2 Corinthians. But as you're reading 2 Corinthians, there's this trial, there's this main thorn in the flesh that Paul had. And, and people debate what that thorn in the flesh might have been. And personally, in context, it seems like his thorn in the flesh was all the opposition he was getting in the gospel from human beings opposing him in the gospel. Three times he prayed that God would take it away. But this is what God said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul relates the story. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my power, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God takes us through seasons like this to remind us that all we need is Jesus. And I don't stand here behind this pulpit, behind this table, to tell you that I've got it figured out. I need you to remind me of this as well. There's going to be seasons of my life where I'm going to need you, the church, to tell me, to tell my family that all we need is Christ. But oh, how true that is. You know, I heard this week about a man named Joe who passed away some time ago and Joe was living in his daughter's house the days before he passed. And so the daughter had a new pastor at her church and the daughter called the new pastor over to the church to come and pray with her daddy knowing that her daddy had days to live. And so her dad comes to the house and comes to the bedroom where 
her dad Joe is, or the past where her dad Joe is dying. And he looks at the man and realizes that he doesn't know him and he doesn't know, they don't know each other. But he, he said, you must be Joe. And he said, yes. And he said, uh, you must be expecting me. And he goes, why would I be expecting you? And he goes, well, I see you have a chair here beside the bed. And Joe, who was dying, said, no, I wasn't expecting you. By the way, who are you? And he said, well, I'm your daughter's new pastor. And he said, well, come on in. And he said, what's the chair for? And Joe said, shut the door. So the pastor shut the door, and he went on to, Joe went on to tell the pastor that years back, he didn't know how to pray. And a friend had told him that if you want to learn to pray, take an empty chair and set it by your bed, set it by your desk, wherever you want to pray, and just picture Jesus being in the chair. Now you say, well, that sounds a little bit weird. Well, the Bible says he's with us always, even to the end of the world, so it's really not all that strange. And Joe told the pastor that he picture Jesus in that chair every time he wanted to pray and realized that prayer was just simply having a conversation with Jesus. So the pastor was impressed and told Joe to continue his prayer life. But he saw in Joe a deep love for Jesus. He really believed that Jesus was with him. Two days went by and the daughter called the pastor and she said, I just want you to know that daddy died last night. She said, but something strange happened, Pastor. She said, when, when I went into, when I went into the, the, his room I f and found him dead, there was something strange and even kind of weird. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over and he rested his head on the chair beside his bed. Why did Joe do that? Because Joe knew that in a time of suffering, the greatest blessing God the Father ever gave was Jesus. And that really is all we need. What do I want to encourage you to do with this message? I just want to encourage you to worship Jesus. To worship the Father who gave us Jesus. To thank Him, to live for Him, to commit your life to Him. To not give up on Him, even in a pandemic. Why should we not give up? Because God the Father is sovereign over all things, even when we aren't. He leads us through trouble so we can experience His comfort and comfort others. He loves His children and wants us to draw close to Him like a daddy. And the greatest blessing He has ever given us is Jesus. Let's remember tonight's, today's big idea. We do what we do and we think what we think because we believe what we believe about God. Get to know God the Father in every way possible. And I pray that you worship, that worship is the natural result. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.